0: So what kind of properties do you guys lend on? What
1: makes you stand out amongst other lenders?
0: What regions are you focused on? What's the
1: weirdest loan you have to process?
0: What are you seeing in the market?
1: What are your preferred loan parameters? Tell
0: us about your underwriting process.
1: How did you get into the lending space? This is Bips, your peek into the lender landscape, where we get into the minds of leading commercial real estate lenders to understand their perspective of the market, what they lend on, and how to get deals done. I'm Kimberly Zagler and your host. And this is my co-host, my older and wiser brother, Yaku Zar.
0: Wait, wait, were you being sarcastic?
1: We are here today with Daniela Marca of Caslon Capital. Daniela Marca is the VP of Debt and Originations at Caslon. She joined in 2017 as the VP of the Bridge Lending Team and focuses on new originations and loan structure. Previously, with Axos Bank, Daniela served as an AVP in the CRE Specialty Lending Department successfully completing direct bridge financing and AB loan participations nationwide. She has experience with borrowers and developers of all property types, specializing in complicated capital stacks, transitional properties, and construction. Daniela began her career in the commercial real estate department at Torrey Pines Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. She holds a Bachelor of International Business from the University of San Diego. Daniela is also an active member of Girl Gang CRE, a NYC-based professional network designed to connect women in commercial real estate. And she's also a member of the Real Estate Council of Carnegie Hall.
0: Most recently, Daniela helped finance a $1.8 million retail acquisition outside of Las Vegas, where the borrower was originally scheduled to close with a CMBS lender. But the CMBS lender backed out last minute due to COVID concerns. And Daniela was able to help close that deal by the 1031 deadline a $1.75 million loan on a 100% vacant apartment building in Salt Lake City, and a $2.5 million retail condo acquisition in Lenox Hill.
1: Daniela, thank you so much for being with us today virtually. We'd love to hear from you a little bit about what you do for Cast On, what you focus on there. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here
2: with both of you today. I think a great way to start off is maybe just giving... Listeners, a little bit of background on what Castellon is, where we started. Um, Castellon was founded in 2008 by two brothers, John and Paul Saleeb. Historically, Castellon has been an owner operator. The Saleeb family has owned and operated buildings in the New York City area back to the 1970s before John and Paul founded uh, Castellon on their own in 2008. The firm started a bridge lending platform about five years ago. And I joined the company, as you mentioned, in 2017 as their lending footprint was expanding. We are direct lenders, discretionary capital, and we focus primarily on transitional assets where execution certainty is the main priority for our borrowers. And by
1: transitional, I mean acquisition, lease up, bridge to sale, et cetera. That's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about the preferred loan parameters of Castelon? Yeah, absolutely. We're
2: lending nationwide. Our typical loan size, I would say, is probably somewhere in the $5 to $15 million range. But we will go as low as $1 million and our max loan is about $40. And we're not doing up construction. We're not huge on land. But we do really focus on quick close, value-add, multifamily deals. So anytime there's a TOB closing, 1031 exchange deadline, those types of deals are really where we excel.
0: That's awesome. How have you guys been lending, you know, based on that? I'm sure a lot of people have had, you know, those urgent requirements since COVID started. How have you guys been lending through that and out of that? What have you guys been looking at?
2: Yeah, I mean we've seen a huge uptick in that. I I think that the biggest change that I've seen post COVID is a lot of deals are coming across my desk that historically would not have been considered bridge deals. They wouldn't be bridge deals, they wouldn't be bridge borrowers. They would primarily be bank loans, CMBS, perm debt. But because of the uncertainty in the market, I think that a lot of borrowers are seeing either lenders back out last minute, really drawing a hard line in the sand saying no retail, no hospitality, no to certain markets, or retrading. So cutting back proceeds drastically, putting on long interest reserves, spiking the rate, so I think what we've seen and something that we're trying to take advantage of now is just how important it is for borrowers to have that certainty of execution where they know that the lender that they sign a term sheet with is going to be there on closing day and that the terms that they agree to are, are going to remain unchanged.
0: That's awesome. You mentioned a couple of retail projects. Are you guys still bullish on retail?
2: Um, I wouldn't say we're bullish. Uh, but uh, but I think that we will still look at it, you know, I, I more think of that, a calf.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. I think that at the end of the day, that there's probably some number that still works or makes sense on most deals. So in should give an example that highlight that you mentioned at the top of the podcast, the retail position outside Vegas. Mm-hmm. You know, we did that at fifty percent of purchase price. The property was about ninety percent leased. The borrower actually wanted to structure the loan with a full term interest reserve. Um, I think that just gave him also peace of mind to kind of wait out the storm. So deals like that, you know, are we going to go and do 75% on a retail deal? No, Mm -hmm. but at 50%, there's a strong sponsor, you know, there's some cash flow or interest reserve. I think there's a point where those types of deals still make sense.
0: That's awesome. Danielle, let's dive a little bit deeper into what kinds of deals... People should think about you on. So, you know, there's still some appetite for retail. You had a vacant apartment building you mentioned. Maybe you could tell us a bit about that. How do you look at that? Is it like towards stabilization? Are you doing like condo takeouts? What else have you guys focused on?
2: Yeah, I think for us, you know, as a lending group, our primary focus when we're looking at loans is what's our basis? Especially in the bridge space, I think that we're pretty used to assets, not necessarily cash flowing or, you know, debt service coverage is something that we're not privileged with experiencing in most of our loans. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, I think that we're well positioned right now to kind of look at some of these deals that other groups won't. I think just like that Salt Lake City deal, you know, lease up, vacant multifamily. I think that our loan ended up being a very low LTV
1: basis. And we felt comfortable there because of what
2: our loan was per Square Foot.
1: Got it. And speaking of some recent deals, are there some deals that you could speak to that you're most proud of that really highlights Castellan's abilities? Yeah, I think one of the deals that I always like to, like I remember very fondly,
2: was a multifamily acquisition deal in Jacksonville, Florida. It was an $18 million loan. When it came to us, it was actually the lender backed out. I think it was a Fannie or Freddie term loan mm-hmm. and the borrower was purchasing it on 1031 extension. Mm-hmm. And I guess the lender actually didn't really back out, but they just couldn't meet the deadline. Got it. So it was brought to us through a broker that we work with. And this borrower was not a typical bridge lender. He was very skeptical of taking bridge debt and he had just been burned by, you know, his traditional lender. And so he was very much questioning, how do I know that you're going to be there when I need you in five days? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, you know, on, as I mentioned, we, we have all discretionary capital, you know, we don't rely on a life insurance company or some other fund in the background to approve and essentially fund our deals. Okay. So that's how we're able to move so quickly. So basically, we got on a call with this borrower and told him, look, we'll show you a bank statement that shows you all of our, our capital ready to deploy. Um, does that get you comfortable? And he was like, yeah, a little bit, but not totally. And so we said, okay, what if we wire a certain portion of the loan to escrow to be held until we close? It was five-day closing. And so we said, well, we'll wire a portion into escrow as long as you pay interest on it. But I think we originally started at 5 million of the 18. And what we ended up doing was wiring the full 18 million into escrow to hold for the five days, just basically pending legal documents. And that got him comfortable. Wow. <laughs> wow.
0: That guy sounds like he had some serious bridge lender trauma in the past.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some PTSD.
0: <laughs> you showed him bank statements of having the funds ready. Wow. That's serious. You guys are committed to getting the deal done.
2: Yeah. And I think that that's something that I see often in the space is a lot of these groups, they write term sheets or they, and they say they're going to make a loan. Yeah. And after they sign it up, they turn around and try to raise the capital. Yeah. And that's not a very well positioned place to be in because that's where you have risk of not being approved and things like that.
0: We see that all the time. I mean, we see that scenario often. It's, I think, a really important thing of dealing with the right bridge lender and the bridge lenders that you want to really have those long term relationships are the ones who have the capital when you need it. And, you know, like you're saying, sometimes you're paying more, but it gets the deal done. And you mentioned up front as well, you know, when COVID started, a lot of deals that could have gone conventional financing ended up coming into the hands of bridge lenders and a lot of conversations that I was having with people was like, look, if you have a good deal and the returns are decent, taking bridge for a little bit is not going to hurt you that much. You're better off getting the deal done and having the right partner to help you get it done and come back and optimize it later on.
2: Yeah, and I think even on the pricing point, our mentality right now is a little bit opposite than I think some of the other players in the space where after COVID saw an uptick on pricing just because there were fewer people that actually had the capital. But our view is we would rather do safer deals at a lower basis and a lower rate than mm-hmm. get riskier and get those double-digit returns. It just it doesn't feel like the right time to take those risks right now.
1: For sure, for sure. And so would you say that was your most challenging or the weirdest loan you had to close?
2: Yeah, I think that that definitely was unique in the time constraint. Mm -hmm. I think that the most challenging loan I've probably done was actually back in my banking days. Okay. An acquisition of an adaptive use project in downtown LA. We were scheduled to be the APs and there was a B lender that was coming alongside to, to close with us. That B lender actually was backed by a life insurance company. And, you know, two weeks before closing, somebody from that life insurance company drove by the property without really having any context for the area, and what was going on um, in downtown LA at that point, and they backed out. Wow. So we were the A lender trying to meet a 1031 deadline and the B lender backs out. Of course, the borrower was panicking, but we were pretty committed to getting the deal done at that point. So we were able to restructure the loan, you know, within the two week frame. We added some additional boot collateral, things like that. But I think being the A lender to still close and the B lender backs out, that's pretty unheard of. So that was definitely an interesting and challenging month. Wow, wow, wow. Thanks for
1: sharing that.
0: (laughs) Daniela, you know, there's a lot of talk about default rates and people paying rent and, you know, where the market's going. What do you think? Do you think that we're headed into a crisis? Do you think that bridge lenders are going to be okay? What are your expectations?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think one of the biggest concerns in the market right now is just the inability to really predict what's next. Mm -hmm. You know, I think multifamily has taken some value cuts, but in general, the expectation seems to remain that demand will stay relatively stable. With retail and hotel, it's hard to tell. I think that really depends on sponsors' ability to support the property and the downturn, which however long that is, we don't really know. But I do definitely think that there are some defaults coming. I think they're going to be, you know, later into this year, maybe fall, early winter. I was actually speaking to a friend in the banking sector the other day, and she told me that the majority of their portfolio has been placed on forbearance with zero payments through November. And in some cases, they even went as far to not just forbear Property mortgage interest payments, but also business credit cards. Wow. So to me, yeah, it's a little scary. I feel like that just kind of gives a little bit of false sense of security, and the other two kind of drop in a minute. But I think come November, that's kind of when we're going to start seeing that. But, you know, I think the difference this time in the downturn versus other recessions is that everybody does seem to be pretty well capitalized. I think in this space, whether it's bridge lenders or other parties, everybody's kind of frothing to get into the NPL um, no purchasing space. So I think that once banks are ready to unload some of this, you know, there's going to be a line around the block of of note buyers that are ready to to come in, you know, close on the notes and probably pay if not par, you know, just a slight discount or none at all.
0: Yeah. Do you guys buy notes?
2: Yeah, we've looked at a few. I think it all kind of depends on the structure of our fund, but we did buy, I want to say two. That's awesome. Last year. So we're in the space, but I think that it really just has to make sense. Got
1: it. Got it. That's great. So we'll see where it goes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's get a little personal, not too personal, but a little <laughs> <Okay>. personal. <laughs> so I'll start off by asking this. and I love asking this question as a woman who also works with a lot of people in real estate and a lot of men. What would you say is your biggest challenge you face as a female in a predominantly male industry?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's no secret that commercial real estate is a male dominated industry, mm-hmm. especially on the finance and capital market side. Yeah. You know, I think every woman in our space can probably relate to or has experienced that only woman in the room feeling. Yeah. But I think what I find encouraging, and I'm choosing to focus on more is how much that's changing. Mm -hmm. You know, I think historically, careers were so often categorized by gender. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think that's the case anymore. More and more women are not only joining the space, but they're excelling and adding an immense amount of value. So I'm really proud to see that change. I love that. And I think the industry as a whole is learning to benefit from more of a diverse workforce. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited to see how that continues to grow over the next five to 10 years. 100%.
1: I completely agree with that. And it it is inspiring to see people like you and other strong women being the face on the real estate publications and really being a driver of the industry. What advice would you have for young people getting into the space, females getting into the space, people who are interested in commercial real estate and finance?
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say, obviously, learn as much as you can and meet as many people as you can. I don't think that I can emphasize enough how big of an impact networking has had on my career. I think that just making those connections, meeting people down the line, it pays off in tenfold. Because you never know somebody that you meet in 10 years where they're going to be in the space, what they're doing. And it all just kind of circles back to just having those connections, knowing people and building just strong working relationships.
0: That's awesome. Daniela, it sounds like you guys are all working remotely. You mentioned to us that you guys are not gonna be back in the office for a little bit. How's that been? How's that transition to remote work been for you guys? What have you found that's been productive? What tips do you have for other teams who, you know, are still settling in?
2: Yeah, you know, it's been good. To be honest when it started, I thought it was gonna be a bigger challenge than it has been. I think Historically, commercial real estate hasn't always been the most tech savvy industry. I <laughs> think uh, we can can be behind some um, other industries in that regards a lot. But what we've done is we have really just utilized a lot of cloud softwares, and um, we use a program called Monday, where we basically put our pipeline into a virtual platform. We're actually having pipeline meetings, video conference twice a day now. Wow! My opinion is actually. In some aspects, it's become a little bit more productive because we work on a more organized schedule. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think in the office before, the pipeline was kind of whenever we had time throughout the day. And sometimes that ends up being seven o'clock at night, you know? (laughs) And now it's like, all right, we're at 9.30 in the morning and we have one at three o'clock in the afternoon. And it's just kind of, uh, it's worked out a lot better than I originally anticipated.
1: I agree. I think people who are now meeting in Zoom are just finding it much easier. They're saving more time. Less time is spent getting to the meeting and the small talk. It's down to business, I think, a lot of times now.:
2: Yeah, that's I think how I've stayed productive and organized is really
1: just kind of building
2: out my calendar and my schedule for the day and just sticking to it. Mm-hmm. Of course, there was a couple bumps and hiccups when we were started out, but I think now things are running pretty smoothly. I agree, I agree. it's
0: awesome any interesting hobbies or activities that you picked up while being in quarantine?
2: Um, You know, my big quarantine business was I bought a piano. Ooh!
0: Whoa. <laughs> That's the best answer we've gotten so far. That's the most productive answer we've gotten.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We've only gotten like Netflix shows. Not to say that finishing or binging a show isn't productive, but piano. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I
2: think when April and everything hit, I was feeling really stressed and wanted just some sort of, um, release and I historically I played as child I'm a lot rustier than I thought I would be so that's been a little bit of a, <laughs> a buzzkill and it hasn't got as much use as I thought that it would but I still don't regret
1: the purchase <laughs> wow um that's awesome well, I actually failed piano in college I had to take it as a course really so you're doing better than me <laughs>
0: I have painful memories of my orchestra teacher in fifth grade telling me to not play while the rest of the class continued because I was so interruptive and offbeat. So the concept of playing music really scares me. I'm going to focus on technology and real estate instead.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think music's really our forte in our family. (laughs) In our family. (laughs) Um, Danielle, thank you so much for joining us today. We wish you all the best during this time.
2: Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me.
1: It's been great speaking with you. What is the best way for our listeners to contact you?
2: Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty available. Uh, short of giving out my cell phone number on the live podcast, I would say. Uh, <laughs> you can reach me by my email, uh, dmarca at castellanre. Okay. That's uh, D as in dog. Marca, M-A-R-C-A, at C A S T E
1: L L A N R E dot ecom Awesome. We will also have the email in the description. And thank you again for joining us. Yeah, thank you again for having me. It's been great.
0: Thanks a lot, Danielle. Great to meet you. You too. Take care. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope you learned something new. Tune in next week when we speak to another lender in the industry, until then, take care. This was Bips, your peek into the lender landscape.
1: As Jay Z says, you don't have to go home, but you gotta get the hell out of here.
0: Kim, everyone's already home.
1: Oh.